0: ABC Listen, podcasts, radio, news, music, and more.
1: All eyes have been on the 28th United Nations Climate Change Conference in Dubai. And one of the last things that got passed at COP28 is an agreement on a framework for how to adapt to climate change. The goal is to improve health food, water and the environment as well as address poverty and protect cultural heritage. Associate Professor Yana Narlau has just got back from the event and she's told David Claughton that Australia played a key role in getting the framework passed.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And there were really really two big key items um, at the COP. So we had... Um, on the global stocktake, so decisions on reducing emissions, and then the other really key item was the global goal on adaptations. Australia absolutely uh, had a massive role to play at this COP.
0: So, what does that actually mean, though? If there's some work on the framework on on how to adapt to climate change, what will it? What sort of things will need to be done?
2: Well, there's lots of um, <laughs> lots of things that that will fit into this. So, for instance, countries are encouraged to have Uh, national adaptation plan so that's part of the um, part of the framework for instance for Australia so we are are getting the first national adaptation plan uh, end of 2024 so in time for for the next COP but it's also trying to help countries to coordinate their actions and also thinking about you know water scarcity um, water access what what does that look like at, at the national level as well but also it's really trying to get people to start thinking about the global level adaptation as well
0: well in terms of australia this last year particularly there were some big shocks in terms of climate change and lismore was probably the standout example Mm. but we had a year of record heat as well and uh, another el nino record ocean temperatures so what will happen do you think in the next couple of years once we have a framework established what what will be the priorities
2: well, the framework now that, yeah, so now that it has been established, so there will be a two-year work program again. And part of the really key uh, key work will be on indicators and metrics and approaches. So it's not enough that <laughs> that we are putting in place adaptation. We also need to understand how we are progressing um, and, and how effective those actions are. So especially for the scientific community, it's going to be really important to support that process in, in terms of trying to help the, help the countries to, to develop and define the indicators, how we measure that progress.
0: Well, how would agriculture measure their progress, or, or mining, for example?
2: I think for agriculture, there's really key issues, uh, for instance, around how we use water. Um, obviously, that's, uh, that, that's a big Biggest an item, and that's well, that about 70%
0: costly. of the water in Australia is used for yeah. agriculture. So, are you yeah. thinking that there needs to be a change?
2: Well, I would say that there needs to be shared conversations around how we use water, and <laughs> we know that that's, that's a really often contentious issue as well. it's also about I know that the Australian government, for instance, is working really closely with the agriculture sector um, to not just reduce emissions but also thinking about um, the long term productivity and food security. These increasingly also focus on on the more regenerative farming you know looking after the soil and what that means uh, for, for use of water as well, so I think there is a big push um, towards moving to more sustainable practices as well
0: so if you if you have regenerative agriculture if you 're a livestock producer, perhaps a growing grower they 're beginning to look more increasingly at how that could play out on grain farms, you could store more water in the soil. But one of the other key things that came out of COP28 was this report on the soils where, where actually globally soils are still being degraded. And the more you degrade the soil, the more carbon it's releasing. Mm. So at the moment, it's still making the problem worse.
2: Look, absolutely. and there's, <laughs> I think that is one of the um, powers of these conventions, so I think. It is to bring together people from different sexes and different countries and trying to problem solve a lot of the adaptation action, in particular, uh, will be discussed in 2024. So all next year. So the national adaptation plan will be giving a lot of broader, broader kind of guidelines uh, how sectors, um, how um, you know, can start thinking about how we adapt to a changing climate. But it's not just the federal level. Obviously, the states and the local governments have been forging ahead um, a lot with with actually implementing the adaptation actions, and there is. There's, you know, increasing conversations around, you know, what do we do with communities um, that live in in high risk places where there might be more uh, more climate impacts. So, how do communities like Lismore rebuild, but also rebuild in a way that makes them safe in a changing climate?
0: And um, that's that's a fraught process, isn't it? It hasn't really mm. been going very well. <laughs>
2: No, look and I think it's I mean it is a future that that we are not prepared for at this time. But it is I think at least um, at the at the national level, as so I said local and state governments um, are, are doing a lot. And we have seen so what was what has been really interesting that we have seen a really big move in, in in just in a few years across banks and the insurance industry as well. So really starting to think about climate risk, what that sort of means, not just for assets, but how those uh, some of the costs might trickle down um, in the system, but also that they they are really doing doing some of the bigger picture thinking and, and starting to look at climate risk and, and what does, for instance, you know, what vulnerability mean for a lot of the asset communities as well.
0: There's a massive investment in renewables in Australia now, and mining companies, you know, the fossil fuel companies, are a part of that actually. But um, if you're going to double and triple. Uh, renewable energy production globally, and Australia has committed to that, the requirements for finance is going to be huge.
2: Look, absolutely. I think we we just, uh, I just heard so many conversations around this um, at, at the COP28, is that there is always investment around, but it just depends on the priorities that we have. Um, so we are seeing, you know, big subsidies um, going across different sectors. So I think it's also a matter of of maybe rethinking uh, some of those investments and also how we collaborate with with other countries in these sectors.
0: The other thing that came out of COP twenty eight was a look at you know global emissions, and they're not mm. tracking down really at the moment. They're, they're being held. I think was my yeah. sense of what the story. How optimistic are people? coming away from this COP28 event, given you've seen major benchmarking on what's happening to the soils, you know, emissions not tracking down, you know, we've had record heat where we're already seeing, you know, what 1.5 degrees looks like. Mm. What's the mood?
2: (laughs) So I think the mood is a mixed mood. Um, So just following, following the last plenary, um, you know, it was really, really tough negotiations to even get the, fa- uh, get the wording in about, um, about you know, phasing down fossil fuels. But I think at the same time, and we know that the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has said that we need to reduce emissions, um, minus 43%. And whereas I think the current pledges that countries have in their nationally determined um, plans is around 8.8 degrees by 2030. In it's a
0: long way short.
2: It is is a long way short, but I think we also discuss the role of innovation. So I think there is a lot that we can do. And some of the really, really key events at this COP where a lot of the side events were around how do we accelerate climate action? How do we accelerate, uh, you know, the moves within the energy sector uh, in particular? So I think we'll see probably a lot more investment, um, but also there's new technologies emerging all the time. So I think it pays attention to also look at, um, you know, what some of those, those uh, strategies might be.
1: That's Associate Professor Yana Ngalau. She's from Griffith University and just back from COP28. So focusing back in on Australia and a bit to create a research centre to help farmers reduce greenhouse gas emissions has been backed by the Australian government. The Zero Net Emissions Agricultural Cooperative Research Centre involves 73 partners across agriculture, education, Indigenous organisations and the government. But securing federal funding was the final piece in the puzzle for the CRC. Its interim chief executive, University of Queensland Professor Matthew Morrill, says the research program will be industry-led.
3: This is not a case of a bunch of scientists sitting in a room thinking, gee whiz, this would be great to do. There's more industry has to say, yep, we see a real imperative to do this. How can we then co-design a program of research and training and innovation to address that target? So while we had some ideas, of course, about the research that needed to be done. The first step for us was really to go out and talk to industry and say, Are you interested? And we were overwhelmed by the positive response.
1: So, who is involved with the CRC?
3: The CRC uh, brings together a really extraordinary set of partners. So, we have all six state governments in the Northern Territory, we have 10 of our leading universities. We have 16 major uh, industry players across Australia and then we have another coalition of uh, 43, I think it is, small to medium-sized enterprises, grower groups, Indigenous enterprises uh, who have all signed up to this CRC bid.
1: The CRC has received federal government funding. What does that signify for the work you are trying to do?
3: The federal government and through um, the Department of Industry, Minister Husick has committed $87 million over 10 years to this bid. The requirement of the federal government is that that sum be matched by the partner fund. So there's about $175 million of of cash co-investment in this initiative what that allows us to do is to have a critical mass to be able to bring major players together in Australia to do research that's both going to hit the ground running and also more ambitious research that solves some of the more intractable problems in this area. It will also act uh, as a coordinator and a convener of research and industry engagement in this space across Australia. So it's a big problem, obviously. This is one of the the greatest problems of our time is to address the climate change. And so we're very heartened by the strength of, of support for this bid.
1: When does the research start or is it already underway?
3: There are research projects underway that will be aligned or accelerated, added to uh, within the CRC. But there's also an opportunity to do things that we did not have the resources to even contemplate before this bid came up. So it's going to be a mixture of those two aspects of the research. There's really a portfolio of opportunities here. It's not just one silver bullet that we're relying on. There are practice changes that are already known that the CRC will work to demonstrate to farmers and to the industry to show how they work and and accelerate the adoption and uptake of that research. There are needs from industry about understanding how they measure and codify and report on their emissions footprint. That can be done relatively quickly. But there's also a need to do research to fill gaps where we don't have the answers. So one pressing example of that is that one feature of Australia's livestock production industries is that we have a big emphasis on grazing animals. Now, clearly, you can't go out and give grazing animals you know, a pill every day to reduce their emissions. You have to develop solutions that can be effective on a longer-term basis with less contact with the animal. So that's one of the areas that's going to take some new research.
1: You've also mentioned there that there are Indigenous organisations involved in the CRC. What does that bring to the broader body of work that you're looking to put together?
3: There's a, a two-way dialogue that's going to go on here, which is, is really interesting. So on one hand, the CRC will provide Uh, Indigenous enterprises with the training and and the knowledge that they need to upskill their workers and their uh, strategies for themselves addressing emissions reduction. But equally, there is knowledge around traditional practices, around different grasses and pasture components, etc., which are Indigenous knowledge that can be brought into the CRC and into our mainstream agriculture. So this blending of uh, traditional knowledge and Western sciences is a very exciting part of the bid. There's enormous goodwill, there's an enormous passion to back the CRC to be successful. And absolutely we're going to be looking for producers in the new year, agencies who want to be part of the research program. So get in contact, flick us an email, and uh, we'd love to have a chat.
1: That's Interim Chief Executive of the Zero Net Emissions Agricultural CRC, Professor Matthew Morrill. He's also the Director of the Queensland Alliance for Agriculture and Food Innovation, or QAFI, speaking there with Callie Buchanan.
2: Mm.
1: So how big a threat is climate change? According to the Farmers Climate Action Group, farmers are rating climate change as the single greatest threat to their business. The Action Group conducted an online survey of over 700 farmers looking at their attitudes to the federal government's net zero sector plan for agriculture and land, which is being developed now. Chairman of the group, Brett Hall, told David Corton about the results...
4: Most farmers are saying that climate change is the biggest threat to their business. Over fifty-five percent um, saw that as a, as a key issue. Um, whereas a transmission line uh, on farmland, for example, is, is only one percent of responses.
0: There was there is a lot of heat in that issue, though, isn't there? Seemingly,
4: oh, the, oh, there is. Um, and certainly, farmers for climate action have been looking, pushing forward with a with a best practice model to be able to sort of um have consultations with communities and farmers and general landowners about what what is the best practice and how people can sort of use that sort of a framework to be able to get the best
0: outcomes. So when people and you're say, surveying big farms, I imagine some corporate farms as well as, you know, smaller family farms, when they're saying that climate change is their biggest threat, why do you think that is?
4: Uh, they're having a lot of climate change affecting their properties. 89% of um, people polled, uh, described these events as usual or somewhat unusual. And I think it was quite surprising to me personally in that we've had three years of La Niña pattern of weather across Australia, but the still 39% of the respondents said they've been in drought in this time and 18% have said that they've had bushfires in this time. So we probably were expecting the flooding um, percentage to be high, which was 47%, but it just shows the, the big impacts of climate across farming, generally across Australia and huge impacts even in, in a more favourable wetter period.
0: And what about reducing emissions with renewables? Are many doing that?
4: Uh, yes, yes, they are. 64% are planning to invest in future or additional emissions reduction measures and um, I think also there was 71% of people who have already invested their own money into emission reduction, including solar panels, batteries, electric farm equipment, tree planting and such.
0: But you asked them about sort of the challenges in terms of getting into renewables. What are they saying are the biggest problems?
4: Yeah, well, um, the farmers are saying they've got you know some barriers to reducing their emissions on farms. So, for example, a lack of clear government policies or incentives, high upfront costs, and limited access to finance to invest in new technology. And then the challenge of measuring and validating these emission changes on their farms. So a net zero sector plan for agriculture and land needs to act on these challenges.
0: So can you break that down a little bit? Like, What, what sort of government policies or incentives would be useful to support farmers to get into reducing their okay. emissions in some way?
4: Yeah, well, when when farmers were asked the best ways to reduce emissions, 65% said promoting biodiversity with mixed species and agroforestry systems on their farms. 60% are saying rehabilitating degraded land and forestry areas is not suited for agriculture. 57% said implementing rotational grazing to enhance pasture health and carbon uptake. And another 53% switching the renewable energy sources like solar and wind for farming operations.
0: Right, and so governments should help in what way?
4: Most of them were sort of saying that there's a number of ways that they can, can do that, um, incentives, whether that be taxation or subsidies to batteries, that type of thing.
0: It's a bit of a worry though, isn't it, because it's becoming a mad rush everywhere in the world, including Australia, to try and get this new infrastructure in to make the switch to renewables to have any kind of an impact on climate change. And in that mad rush, bad things are happening. And and the snowy hydro would be a classic example of this where they they rushed ahead without the necessary kind of planning around building that infrastructure and, and, and boring those tunnels. And so one of them's got bogged and that project is now like ten times more expensive and, and delayed. So that's a major problem. And and are, are you sensing that concern as well about the, the rush that's on in terms of putting renewables into, uh, into country areas?
4: Well, farmers from the, from the survey are certainly telling us that climate change is hurting them right now. And they're saying that ag is leading the way in, in reducing pollution, but they certainly want the rest of the economy um, contributing and, and helping address climate change. So agriculture is willing to do their part, but we need everybody else coming along with us. And there is an urgent sense that they need to do it as soon as possible because these impacts are being felt on farms right now.
0: And how significant is work on the soils, do you think? Because we've got this regenerative farming movement, we've got biodiversity trading schemes being set up to encourage farmers to to increase biodiversity and vegetation cover on their land, and carbon credit schemes doing similar things. So how significant will that area be in terms of improving the amount of carbon dioxide that can be stored in the soil
4: yeah, well, the recognition that, that of what this area can do, what soils can do, to help bring down emissions, is great, and it's being recognised by the government. Um, I look at my own farm, and there's probably a third of that property is is over um, is covered by native vegetation, and really that wasn't being recognised by the government as as contributing to reducing emissions. But um, just having a, a lot more land um, with good biodiversity considered into the picture. Uh, by the government is is really good for, for ag.
1: It's Tasmanian farmer Brett Hall speaking there with the ABC's David Claughton.